Joe Varden. This is a beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Uh-huh, uh-huh, to be able to bring uh-huh. people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Was right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. <laughs> awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention teams anymore. That's what I like to play with Kevin Durant. The trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. Hey, we don't have tamper with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast at The Athletic. I'm Sam Amick, as always, here with my guy Joe Varden out in Cleveland. Joe, as everybody can see back home, we got a special edition this week. We're normally going audio only, but when the one and only Ron Artest, Metal World Peace, says he'll join you and then says he'll join you on Zoom to, to chop it up in this quarantine life, you got to say yes. Ron, my friend, how are you, sir? I mean, everything is great, man. Long time no speak. How you been? I've been fine. We we got to catch up a little bit offline. Uh, I told Joe this morning, Ron, that that it's funny, and we're all getting a little bit older, right? So, like, knowing you were coming on, looking at different things on the internet, uh, research wise, to to kind of figure out what we were going to talk about. It was a really fun trip down memory lane, and uh, you know, you and I went through some things together, man. Two thousand five, you get traded. From Indy to the Kings, uh, you know, and we could we could chop it up all day about that stuff. But I told Joe real quickly that I said, Joe, you got to understand, it's my first year on the Kings beat for the Sacramento Bee, and, and I'm trying to figure out this new you know world that I'm going to be working in. And about a month into it, uh, I'm at Madison Square Garden, which I you know ironically your hometown, and I'm in the garden the Kings were playing the Knicks that night. And you, I believe, were back in Indiana. The trade had just gone down. Somebody ends up connecting the two of us on the phone. I'm in the uh, the, the hallways of the garden calling you up and, and saying hello for the first time. And, and then we're off to the races from there. I see you in Boston a couple of days later. Uh, but that, that feels like a very long time ago, man. But it's it's great to see your face. We appreciate you doing this. What's the life update? This is a, an incredibly unique time that everybody's stuck at home and doing their thing. How's the family? How are things? Yeah, every, everything is solid. You know, you, with, um, with COVID, obviously, uh, condolences to a lot of people who lost family members, and hopefully people can get back on their feet. I know it's been really killing uh, businesses. It's been killing uh, employees. So hopefully people are able to, you know, withstand this storm and get back on track. Um, but yeah, everything, everything is solid. That's good, man. You look good. I joked with you before that, you know, you, you got the, the boxing look going there. It looked like you could go yeah. 12 rounds in the gym. Uh, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe get pops, you know, in, in that gym. I know your, your dad was, was a boxer back in the day. Yeah, definitely. But Hey, let's, let's talk hoops. Um, we wanted to get into a lot of things, you know, in connecting with you, but because the last dance is front and center because every single week, it's something that the whole basketball world is is tuning into. I'm dying to know how this thing has hit you because of the unique filter you have. And, and Rob, before you get into it, it's like if anybody watching or listening doesn't know, a couple things you've got to know is that, for one, you did catch Michael at the tail end of his career. I looked it up today. Uh, it's funny. I never knew this. You had two wins against Mike during his Wizards uh, tenure in the span of four days. Your overall record was was two and three. And, you know, and I, you'd probably be happy to hear that he shot 40% from the field overall in, in the five times you played him. But you, know, you got a taste of him. You know, you were drafted by the Bulls. Jerry Krause drafted you. There's a lot of common threads here. Uh, what have you thought of the doc so far? And, and, and you know, how is it kind of hitting you? I mean, I love it. Uh, it takes me back to when I was a kid, enjoying basketball, enjoying Michael Jordan, enjoying all of the Bulls takes you back to B.J. Armstrong days, to uh, Tony Kukoc arriving, and you heard so many great things as a kid. He, he was a, had 63 points in a game overseas and all that stuff. Um, amazing. You know, I'm, I'm really, I'm satisfied with it. I look forward to it every Sunday. Uh, I'm, re- I'm really amazed that they did a 10-part series. That's really, like, gutsy and ballsy to do a 10-part series. And, but it's Michael Jordan, right? So you can do right. two parts. Right, so, right, right. Ron, you are 40. Um, I turned 40 in September, so we're the same age. 
So we experienced the Michael stuff at the same time, I think, as kids. Yeah. And last night, they hit us with the 93 Eastern Conference Finals. You were from New York. Uh, I'm guessing you were a Knicks fan. Definitely. You know, and, um, I was a Bulls fan first because, you know, the hype. You're, you're going to follow. Mm-hmm. I was a Bulls fan first, but I always wanted to see the Knicks win. So, all right, so you're a Knicks fan, and they, you know, as you as you remember, I remember the Knicks had gone up 2-0 in that series. And I'd grown up, I'd grown up in Cleveland and was watching it from the standpoint of, like, the Cavs kept losing to the Bulls, always pissed off about the 89 series, and so definitely rooting for the Knicks. And I, I remember after game six being really upset uh, that somehow the Bulls had wiggled through that. What was it like? What do you remember about watching that series as a child? And then what memories kind of came back last night seeing it again uh, in the episode? Well, you know, like in 93, I wasn't really watching a lot of ball. You know, I would watch if a game was on, I guess, primetime television because we only had the seven channels. You know, so I never watched college basketball. I didn't know who was in college at 93 or 94 or 95. Okay. You know, so I'll just go outside and play basketball. So you'll get the news. You can read the paper the next day, unless it was on, I guess, NBC at the time. The Knicks was on MSG. I didn't have cable. You know, so it was hard to catch those games. So that whole series with the Knicks and the Bulls, it's kind of a blur to me. It was, it was something that I was never really into. Like, you know, I just started playing basketball, just started getting into it. And I didn't know if I was going to go to the NBA, so I wasn't that into it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, I don't remember much about that series. Um, the ones that came after that, as I got older and started to get better, and yeah, I remember those. Ron, you know, it's funny you say that. This is kind of a different road, but um, I went the other day, went back, and I watched that the Showtime doc that you did, man, uh, which was really well done. And listen, if you haven't seen it, check it out. And I thought the coolest thing was that the whole storytelling component is through the, you know, the framing of mental health and the fact that, you know, you have been so open about, you know, your growth on that front. And, and even Joe and I, again, we're talking off air about how right now, if you talk about mental health in the NBA, it's Kevin Love, DeMar DeRozan, before that, Royce White, you know, and, and I, you know, I don't think people should forget that you got this ball rolling. And in the dock, it reminds people that when you win the title in 2010 with the Lakers, you're thanking your psychiatrist, which is one of the most legendary moments in NBA history. Um, but it also reminds me that like your answer to Joe's question about that playoff series, you know, when you're growing up in Queensbridge and when you have seven channels, I've heard you and your brother talk about the players in the blacktop in Queensbridge and in New York back in the day. It, it's crazy. Cause tell me if, if I'm, if I'm right here, like during that span of your life, those guys on those courts, probably resonated with you more than even the guys in the NBA. Cause you guys were dropping names on this interview. I saw recently left and right of, you know, the guys who had game back, you know, that just couldn't make it out or maybe got in trouble. Um, is that kind of how, how basketball was for you that it started there? And then eventually you get into the NBA kind of atmosphere. Yeah, def- definitely. You know, I mean, with the, you know, New York city basketball, it was just, it's so competitive. It was a really a, interesting because, the Knicks were, you know, since 71 and 73, that's still the last time they won a title. So, you know, in New York City, it was pretty much, you know, we've been losing, 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 losing the same way right. now, right? So, right. You, know, you know, but the Knicks brought that bad, that, that Detroit Pistons bad boy style of play in the 90s. Right. So that's, you know, that's what it is. That's how we play. You know, we, we're New York City and right. we don't win, but we play hard, right? Right, right. So that's, that, that's kind of, you, you, you start to get used to that, you know, from being in the city. Then sometimes you got to, you know, at, at, at some point you got to fight for your city, right? We just lose them, lose them so much, you know? So at some point you want to fight for your city. So a lot of the ball players in New York City were playing against each other, but really playing hard, really trying to win really taking on that Knicks, uh, those Knicks characteristics and the personality of the Knicks. Yep. Um, and that's New York City for you. Right. Yeah. Right, right. So you were, um, you know, one of the main characters in this, uh, in this doc is the late Jerry Krause. Um, you knew him. 
And (laughs) yeah, I mean, what do you tell us about that? Tell us about working with him. I mean, I know he drafted you in Indiana and yeah, I mean, we haven't heard much, you know, obviously he he's passed from us, but he, um, he's not really like, there's not anybody really taken up for him in this documentary. I don't have anything to do with what happened between Jerry Pippen or Jerry and the Bulls. I have nothing to do with that. You know, I wasn't even, I was a teenager. Right. And I don't even own, I don't own the Bulls. Right. So, um, Bulls is my favorite team. I didn't even know Pippen was getting that salary. I knew nothing about, you know, that Pippen was under payment. Oh, wow. Now that I see that, I'm like, wow. Right, right. Me but, too. You know, for me, it's like Jerry drafted me after Michael Jordan left. So for me, I'm, I'm, the Bulls is my favorite team. I play with them all the time on the video games. Right. So as, as a 19 year old kid, I'm just like, wow. Right. And then Jerry told me one day, I love Jerry. Jerry's like, He's like, Ron, we're going to get number seven. You're going to be here. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to just destroy those other six titles. <laughs> and, and Jerry would always say that number seven is the most important one. Right? And um, at the time, I was going through a lot. Because I was going through um, getting beside myself, for one. Because, you know, you get paid a little bit of money. It's more than what you ever had in your life. And things changed for me. So... I was, and then also the pressure of, you know, taking care of people, right? So Jerry would always tell me, and then the pressure of playing well. And Jerry would always tell me, Ron, you're going to be a great player. Don't worry about your offense. Don't worry about scoring. Anybody that plays defense like you is, is going to be a hell of a player. You're here for the long term, <laughs> right? And then I, I just kept doing, I just kept getting in trouble. And tr- after trouble, a lot of behind-the-scenes things that happened in Chicago where they didn't want to trade me. Right. But, you know, Jerry was like, you know, one more incident, you're done, you know, and then I kept getting in trouble. And, um, but Jerry really believed in me before I believed in myself, you know? So for me, you know, I love Jerry Krause. I mean, he drafted Michael Jordan. He, he went and found Pippen. You know, I, I'm just like, that's the biggest honor. One of the biggest honors to get drafted by Jerry Krause. Two things on that front, Ron. For one, uh, is it true Everybody knows the old story about you, you know, deciding, I think, was it the summer uh, going into your rookie season or after when you just had some time on your hands and you wanted to go work at Circuit City? That was the, that was the summer. That was right away. Going into uh, the league or coming out of your? Coming right out of college. You know, okay. I was working okay. out with the Bulls in the summertime. My friends were working and I just, you know, I just thought I should just want to get a job. <laughs> did he, did I, I think. I either read it or it was in the doc that he that he put an end to it. Was that Jerry saying no more Circuit City? <laughs> um, J- yeah, Jerry got word that I was working at Circuit City. <laughs> and Jerry was like, no. <laughs> he was like, no, no, no. Okay. Well, okay. So then the, the second one is you mentioned not wanting to get traded by the Bulls. And I think yeah. it was Bill Cartwright who told you. Bill you Cartwright. Know, yeah, like we want you yeah. here. But I don't have clarity on and you know if you feel like sharing it what what did happen that was the straw that man i can't have 20 years ago what this 2020 i got drafted in 1999 so you know um some of the when i I hate losing right so every day (laughs) i don't like losing a game right so um you could even go back to the times at indiana anytime we lost when i threw the camera at the knicks right at the garden 120 grand, right? 125 grand. Remind right. to the camera, suspensions, games lost. Not even the money, the games that you suspended is right. like the worst. Chicago every day. You know, when I'm losing, I'm coming into practice. I have a chip on my shoulder. I don't want to talk to nobody. I'm upset. We suck. And this is a big problem. Right. And um, I can't, I just can't, I just can't get over the fact that I have no control over winning. So every day, there was right. some. Right. I, I think my first practice, I had a fight with Coach. Well, that was before we even started losing. <laughs> uh, me, me and Tony had a nice little scuffle. Um, like a fight fight or, or a don't hold me back real, fight? It was a real fight. It was a real wow. fight. Wow. <laughs> How'd that one turn out for Tony? I mean, you know, it was a real fight. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know Tony, listen, I love Tony a lot um, because he's one of my favorite players. And, like, right before that, I was playing against Michael Jordan. And sometimes we know the story about, you know, how I accidentally broke Michael ribs. It yep. wasn't on purpose. I was just playing extremely hard. Right. You know, I'm, I'm head down, horns to the ground, and go. Where and were you guys, Ron? Sorry to cut you off, but where, what was the setting for that game? 
Me and Tony? Or me and no, you and, no, you and Jordan, the ribs. Well, you know, Jordan was, you know, Jordan is an amazing player. You, everybody knows when Jordan came back, he's averaging 25. Yep. So before I accidentally broke his ribs, I thought he was going to be averaging 35. And this is me from watching him play against all the All-Stars. I'm like, wow, this guy is going to average 35. I'm amazed. And he would say, hey, Ron, make sure you come back. Because I was like the only one going at his ass. Right. Every day. Right. You can say it. It's all right. Yeah. Every day. It was, but that's, yeah. you know, that's, that's, a, that's a calm way of putting it. Right. You know, right. so he would, he would say, hey, make sure you come back. And I'm like, oh, wow, Michael Jordan said come back to play because how hard I played against him. And right. then, you know, so when he, he, he locks you in the post, and I try to deny because the key to Jordan is you can't let him touch the ball. Right. Right. So then as I was denying him with the left hand, my right elbow went under his hand that was um, under his left hand that was grabbing me. And um, so I, I get his hand out the way and I hit him with my elbow and his ribs. And then the ref called the offensive foul because Jordan had refs at every single sure. ref. Right. 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 And the ref called the offensive foul. And I'm like, yeah. And then Jordan's like this. I'm like, oh. So, I, then, um, <laughs> so then I, I remember like, I think I hurt Michael Jordan. So um, <laughs> I went home and um, I didn't leave my house for like two days. I didn't go back to the gym. And everybody was like, where you at? I was just home, you know, I was drinking some Hennessy. I was just like, and then, um, you know, the Bulls didn't hear from me. Uh, and then Jordan called me. My, and my agent called me at the time was uh, Mark Bottlestein. Yeah. Um, and he called me and he said, hey, man, you're arrested. I think I heard Michael Jordan. Then it came out, Michael Jordan, ribs is broke. Right. And, and Metal World Peace had a fight with Michael Jordan. I'm like, I did not have a fight with Michael Jordan. You know, I didn't, it said, it punch Michael Jordan. I'm like, oh man, so I didn't want to leave. And then Jordan calls me. And then Jordan was like, hey man, it's okay. Things happen um, and, and don't worry about it. Then I went back to, then I went back to playing. You know, it was one of the greatest phone calls I got in my life. I spoke to Jordan twice on the phone in my life. What was um, the other time? The after the brawl. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> after the brawl, he's like, you know, just hanging hang there. Right. And, you know, it's amazing. So he called you after that night too? He called me after, after the bro, he called me like maybe a month and maybe a month in because, you know, jo- you know, Jordan's a great, he's real strategic, I guess, on how he presents himself. His mom taught him well, you know, so, you know, and I think Jordan waits to see like, if he can help you, he'll help, you know, you know, just calling, that's big help. Yeah. And we hear from Michael Jordan, but at that time, I just wasn't able to take leadership well, I wasn't listening to any leaders Interesting. I had, like Miller or anyone, you know, right. nothing you can say to get through to me. If you're bored in the house, bored, so bored in the house, why not spend some time on yourself? Our sponsor today, Manscaped, is here to make sure that you are well-groomed above and below the belt. Manscaped promotes clean, hygiene when it comes to shaving thanks to the lawnmower 3.0 it's no coincidence that we picked today to start video the video portion of our podcast so we can talk about manscaped it's the only men's brand dedicated to below the waist grooming like if you are just trying a regular like electric razor and you start i mean it just it's short circuits because it's not called manscaped so finally you don't have to worry about that Manscaped is forever changing the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0. This is the perfect package for your perfect package, isn't it, Producer Andrew? I can attest. It's a it's a great product. It actually the Lawnmower 3.0, upgraded from the 2.0, actually has a light on it. It's a great product, and right now you can get 20% off. And free shipping with the code the athletic. That's lowercase the athletic at manscaped.com. Twenty percent off with the free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code the athletic. So that's like a headlight. It's a yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to shave below the waist in the dark? Even better. <laughs> it seriously is glorious and a great product. Uh, and right now you can get two free gifts. You get the shed travel bag. That's a $39 value. And the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped boxer briefs, which I also own. So go to manscaped.com today and use the code THEATHLETIC. So here's a, here's a segue that I think is perfect. Um, you talk about not having 
you know, probably, I guess, maturity wise at that point and psychology wise, what you needed to take leadership, what you needed to, to not get traded from Chicago and all these different things. The thing that struck me the most about the doc, Ron, was that for one, again, it takes a certain humility and a selflessness, I think, to, to continue telling your story from that vantage point of mental health. Uh, but a theme in the documentary is you making amends with different people. And so you and Jermaine O'Neal don't talk for 14 years because of the Pacers stuff. And I believe you and Jermaine are now good, right? Am I accurate well, there? We're not where I wish it would have been. It will okay. never be that because like, you, it's not that it will never be a big friendship because we're not speaking on different things like that. I'm saying because you missed out on the time that you could have been building friendship. Sure. Right. Right. It, it, from a big friendship to a small friendship, even, even me and you, Sam, like we had our differences. We stayed in contact over the years. Now imagine if we never spoke, I would be like, I don't even, I don't know you like that. Like, right. why, why would I do an interview with you? Because right. I don't even know. I haven't spoke to you. Right. right. But you feel, you know, that you can call me, you can hit me up on Instagram. You can you text me or whatever the case may be. And those type of things take, you know, time. Right. But in Indiana, you know, I was just, I don't, it was too much going through my head and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't push, I, I didn't make the, the initiative, then I didn't take the initiative right. to uh, build the relationship. Now you watch LeBron and these guys, they do it the right way. You know, I learned from a different era. You know, I learned that everybody's competition, you know, um, and when you're playing against them in a different jersey, they more competition. And then you, for me, when I'm playing against somebody I just got traded to, is this competition. Right. I, don't, I don't even look at you as this on my team. Right. You know, so I had major issues in that way. It took me a long time right. um, to really get, you know, you know, it's, it's okay to play against someone on the same team as someone you once played against. Right. You know, you right. Know, a long time to get used to that. Cause I go into practice and I'm just like, there's war today. You know, right. we're going to, every day we're going to war. You know, right. and, and and that's how I approached it. So I didn't really leave the room for friendship. I think now is a good time for you to list every difference you've ever had with Sam. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Sam. Well, when Sam first started, I think we, we hold on. You, well, yeah, you came into the league. I mean, 05. So when you came to Sam. Right. So I right, did. Right. I was the backup. I was the backup behind uh, the, the, the great Marty Mack. Right, right, Matt, right, right, right. Yeah, so Marty was the beat writer 0405, yeah. and I was around. And then again, it was a month into the first year on the beat that, that you came to SAC. Well, the, the, the difference is, was, you know, because I was coming for, off right off the brawl, fresh yep. off the brawl. Right. <laughs> so I, that was still bothering me when people ask questions. And then also, um, I was still in the, in, in the prime of my instability, right? So I was still getting in trouble. I was, I was I was still not necessarily getting in trouble, but doing things. Um, some things was out of my control, which it led to going into the media. Which yeah, there were headlines. There were headlines. Right. You know, um, a lot of headlines, and so people reporting. So I'm just like I, I didn't really like anyone at that time because you know I got tired of being in the paper, and then also you remember that probably incident happened with my wife. Yeah. Right at the time, right, yep. the domestic incident, and then that was just like. A, that was just like a meltdown. So it was tough, man. That was a tough one, you know. That was so it was just like a, it was a mix of like, you know, it, it was a situation I was trying to get control of. So you know, it wasn't like major differences, honestly. It was just like no. Here, here's from my side, Ron. Here's how I would say it. I tell people all the time that the thing I, I respect so much about you is that when it comes to the media stuff, I I, I have a very high bar now for how other players handle the media when there are issues because with all the things that went on with you. And there, like you said, there were quite a few, even in the SAC chapter, like you still were professional with the media. You didn't go at people. And honestly, in the, in the kind of way that we constantly heard about you with your teammates and with locker room environment, you were a pro all the way through. And that's not easy. And not only that, we, I mean, I don't know how you feel. We had a little fun at the same time when it comes to stories that weren't as heavy. Oh yeah, yeah. We had I mean, career, chasing you around for your the beginning of your rap career when you were, you know, going out to Rancho Cordova and and uh, doing the True Warrior thing out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff no, like it that. Good. It was it was it was a lot of great times, you know. And then you know, with um, 
I mean, uh, it was some really interesting times. I remember again with Rick Allen, man, I just got traded to Sacramento and Rick, and I tell Rick, I said, listen, you know, I'm, I'm 273 and I'm still like super depressed, like, cause my career is not where, it's not perfect exactly how I want it. Right. You know, so I'm just like, whatever. I go up to 273 pounds, the, the Kings trade for me and I'm just like, Rick, I don't think I can play. I said, you shouldn't start me. You probably shouldn't play me. You know, and Rick says, he says, run. We're going to go as far as you take us. That's what's going to happen. And I'm just like, you know, Rick, I, don't, I just, I can't, I'm 273. He said, well, get to work, right? And then um, remember, he was like in 10th place. Right. Ron, you, and really, you, you wasted no time. And I remember yeah. this vividly. We're in Toronto. And post game, I, I, I think you guys won that game. And I go up to you. And one of the first things out of your mouth Real casual, you were like, no, we're going to go to the playoffs. Like, we're going to the playoffs. And I think you were 18 and 24 at that time. It's one of those stories that people have forgotten about because, okay, you wind up losing in the first round of San Antonio. And you and I both know, like, first teams that lose in the first round get forgotten. They just do. But yeah. that team had a ton of fight and turned things around and then gave the Spurs, you know, a decent little run. Well, and, that team, we could have beat the Spurs. We beat them game one. They came back and beat us, and then I, I sprained my ankle in game right. five. We was, we was nail and tooth. Well, you missed a game, too, with the Ginobili. Uh, and I missed the game, too. Right. You know, I missed the game, too, with that. Uh, and game five, I sprained my uh, – game six, the last game when they beat us, the closeout game. Right. I sprained my ankle in the, last, in the first quarter. That was a hell of a series. That not only that, and I was dying to ask you this, not only that, but if my memory serves – uh, you told me a long time ago that that you also thought there was some some funny business going on with the Spurs and and the AT and T Center. Do you remember that oh, whole that thing? <laughs> yeah, we we talked about that in Vegas. So so again for the viewers listeners, really Ron and I Ron and I sat down doing an interview in Vegas and 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 I'm not gonna lie when you told me this like my jaw hit the floor and I'm like what the hell are you talking about? It's two months after the playoffs we're at Summer League doing this interview and you share that you thought. That, that there was basically gas getting pumped. It was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. Yeah. It was ridiculous. We, we, you know, we win game one, we come back game two. And I love the Spurs. Man. I'm a big fan of the Spurs. You know, but we come back game two and it's gas in our locker room and nobody's doing nothing about it. I'm like, what? I'm, I'm like, this is, you know, this is ridiculous. Everybody smells it. I'm the only one being verbal about it. I'm talking, I'm screaming at the security. I'm trying to find whoever's running the building. I'm like, get this gas out of my locker room, you know. And it was, it was, the, it was the worst. And nobody talks about it. I'm very surprised. Like, right, I was right. literally the only one to say something about it. But you know, um, the, the the only problem with the gas was it was it was it was making me nauseous. Right. It, it wasn't like you know when we got out to the floor, it was okay. But it was like, but I remember that. Actually, I didn't I didn't remember that until you said something. Dude, well, and the thing is, because the world was different. If you would have told me that now then it would have gone viral and, and nobody yeah. ever would have forgotten about it. I had to look that story up the other day and it's like, you got to dig. I mean, it still does exist on the internet, but it's, but it got forgotten for the most part. <laughs> wow, wow. That's amazing. Great Ron, doing uh, some research for this, um, just looking at your numbers, your, I mean, how many points per game you, you averaged and, you know, I mean, I guess towards the end of your career, you were more of a defensive and, and coming off the bench, but I mean, you had, several years in a row when you averaged at least 15 points a game. I mean, you, you could argue you were a scorer uh, in addition to the other things that, that you did. How do you, looking back on it, how do you characterize your game over the course of, its, of your career? I mean, if you look at my game, definitely Hall of Famer. If you look at, like, the type of play I was in the 90s, I was considered the best defender. No, sorry, the, the well, the, the 2000s, I was considered the best perimeter defender, mm -hmm. you know. So, but the problem, the problem, this is a problem in my career. You know, at, at when I started to become an all-star, I was averaging 18 points. Um, and I'm very proud of my career, so don't get it twisted. I'm very proud of you know, what I was able to accomplish. I averaging 18 points. And the next year, you know, and I finished six MVP people, and I come back the next year averaging 24, you know, first nine games, you know, me and Jermaine, Pretty much the offense is going through us. You know, we, we have a great team, but that's what, that's what the offense was built around. And, you know, every 23-year-old that's averaging 24 points, you know, just coming off the best, you, you know, you're, going, you're probably going to be a Hall of Famer at this yeah. point. You know, so, so 
Yeah, I can, but when the, when the brawl happened, like it took a lot out of me mm-hmm. because like I knew I was I, I knew I was always walking on eggshells just because how I am personally. I knew like this professional setting is really not for me because you know I, I I'm really rebellious. You know I'm really rebellious and I and I hold emotions on my shoulders. You know so then I came back the next year after the brawl after 19. Right, and and that was after a year off, getting you know work, working the rust off, and then I then I request the trade. So you know, the brawl yeah, definitely all star, right? That's definitely two all stars. No question. But yeah, I get suspended, you know, and that would have been another. I mean, yeah, I got traded to sack. That would have been another all star for me in the East. I had three all stars. You're talking about, you know what I'm saying? So, um, I you know, I think um, I. I they could, I, I could play it. I could, I could score, I could play defense, you know. But the problem, one of the, one of the issues was the defense started to get so easy for me. And, and I literally was just locking people up where I stopped working on my game also. So the years I was averaging 20 and, you know, I was, I was partying a lot those years. You know, um, so I wasn't able to reach the full potential for a lot of reasons. But, you know, um, you know, I always wanted the championship. I always wanted the, the Olympic gold medal. Um, during the Olympics, you know, I, I had to call because nobody was calling me. I was in my prime. I was like, I'm averaging, you know, I'm one of the best players in the league and no calls for the Olympics. And then they told me, you know, they, they didn't want somebody like me on the team, whatever. You know, um, I even called the tryout. <laughs> I called my agent. I'm like, listen, if they're not going to call me, I'm going to call them. So I called the tryout. Couldn't get on that team. You know, so that's something that I felt that I definitely deserved. Um, but that's something that's missing, you know, from my awards. And then um, what else? It's a, it's a few other things um, that – oh, MVP. I was so close, man. I, and MVP, you, you get a window of opportunity. Look at even Derrick Rose. He mm-hmm. was hot. Got the, he got it twice or once. Right. No, once. He got the MVP. Yeah. He got hurt. And these opportunities don't come often. Right. So you know, when I look back, and um, didn't you? Didn't you? You you were sixth in voting one year. Yeah, and I honestly, I think people, a lot of the people who listen, had the best record too. Yeah, and I think honestly, because time marches on and people forget, I think when most people hear that you think you were an MVP candidate, most people are going to go, "What's he talking about?" You know what I mean? <laughs> it's but true. Like, there was a minute, hundred percent. And then even, and this is listen, life is is always like what what might have been, but like some of the Kings years you had, all of a sudden you're scoring 20 plus, you're still playing your D um, that kind of two way play, even in that era, uh, it just, it didn't exist. And no, no, I was, in, in that era, you know, that's, that's my only argument in that era, you know, it, it was one person that they were talking about that could stop any one of the all-stars, you know, Bruce Bone was in those conversations, but right. I'm talking about not help, just physical, you know, I was one player they were talking about in that time. So, if you if you were one of the best at your craft at that time in the NBA with Kobe Bryant, right? And they're talking about you're the best. It's, a, it's an argument to be made. Right. It's an argument to be made. Right. So so Ron, you have I mean you've brought it up that that throughout your career, especially in the first ten years or, or whatever, that you were dealing with personal stuff and personal demons. Um, but we had Luke Walton on last week, and it was in the context of watching Dennis Rodman on screen. And then he was he was kind of comparing you to Dennis, but then he said um, when you came to the Lakers, like you'd had a reputation, but he Luke immediately realized that you were like the best teammate, like that you were down for whatever as far as being a Laker and being a good guy, like in the locker room. Um, so what what kind of teammate do you think you were? I mean, do, do you? I mean, I I would assume you'd say yes. He's right. I was a hell of a teammate. Was, but was, but what was that? I was difficult, man. I don't, it was, I don't even know how. I tell people I don't know how I last 18 years in the NBA because I'm, every year I was different. Not every year. My first half of my career, I was very difficult. But I was, you know, I, I, I knew the game and I always was helpful, you know. So if somebody was to ask me for something, I would tell them. If a rookie wasn't, all the rookies loved me because, you know, I really looked after the rookies in terms of keeping a psyche up. You know, um, every rookie that played with me, I always was helpful. So from that standpoint, if you was my teammate, you know, especially if you wasn't playing, I was always helpful. If you was playing, for the most part, I was coming at your neck. So we probably don't have a relationship. If, like, you know, starting five, 
you know, in the practice, you know, that, that group that's, you know, uh, competing against each other is always on the floor. And, you know, early in my career, you know, practices, you know, I'm coming at your neck. <laughs> you know, um, so Luke got me when I was 29. You know, I was a little older, you know. What about the Kobe influence, Ron? Because, like, like, Kobe kind of pulled you aside. That was his, that was his territory, right? Kobe, pulled me, Kobe yeah. pulled me to the side briefly. I already knew what it was with Kobe. I All respect right. Kobe for one, for what he's done. So when I get with Kobe, he said, hey, you know, I want you, we're we going to be serious. Yeah, I, I, I knew that. Yeah, right. I knew that coming in. Right. So obviously that was, he said it one time. It wasn't, even, it wasn't even like a sit down. It was just like a pass. Okay. You know, um, but yeah, Kobe is great. It's, it's funny, too, I think. People forget that, like, in the end, you got a, a, a really happy ending with the Lakers. You got the title. I mean, that game seven was obviously epic, and I, you can't write a script any better than that where Kobe carries you guys all year long, and then he has a, a brutal game seven. I think he was 8 of 24 from the field. I didn't. I don't know how I missed this run at the time, but I watching the tape again yesterday, I can't believe that I missed that not only did you hit that three late in the fourth quarter to – to seal that thing up, but the idea that you had a step back against the one and only Paul Pierce <laughs> as the highlight of your entire career is perfect. Um, but before all that, and go down this road a little bit for me, like it took you a minute to to kind of combine who you were as a person within that Lakers environment. I remember talking to you about like Phil was a challenge for you. Phil already had his thing established with the Lakers, and then. Right, 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 you know, right. Yeah, and I, and I think there was a couple times you might have even tweeted things about Phil where it seemed like you were getting tired of him kind of coming at you and making you the scapegoat for different things. Talk about that, the evolution of, of that relationship a little bit and how you kind of eventually worked your way, you know, into the program. Well, you know, um, with Phil, I'm super confident. I feel like I'm the best every time I get on the floor. And, it, you know, it's hard to change your thought process, you know. So, um, well, Phil is a is a team off. I knew the triangle, so I wasn't worried about that. I knew I, I watched the Bulls my whole life, I'm a very cerebral player. But I was concerned about my role when you got Powell and Bynum and Lamar and Fisher, Shannon Brown. I mean, wow, <laughs> Kobe Bryant. You know, there's not a lot of opportunity there, right? Um, so, you know, when, you, when you're not in a rhythm, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm somewhat of, I'm used to a certain thing. Even with the Rockets, with Yao Ming, it, I was go, it was going to me in the fourth quarter. Right. You know, um, so I was, me and Phil had differences, but Phil, you know, he kind of um, was transforming in terms of how you approach practice, how you approach the meditation sessions, you know, how you approach everyone as a unit, you know, it's very life changing. Um, you know, with Phil, but we did have our differences. We did have arguments. Um, he, he, he's one of the few, him and Rick Allen, one of the few coaches that don't hold grudges. Okay. You know, I remember we had a fight in the rock in the Rockets practice facility, a full on fight. Right. <laughs> and you Rick and Rick? Adelman, yeah, we Rick Adelman. Right. So not me and Rick, the team players. Okay. okay. Right. So Rick Adelman is on the other side, did not lift his chin, literally going through his practice plan. And never once looked up, <laughs> right? Never once looked up. You know, and him and Phil remind me so much of each that other. That sounds like Donnie Walsh, too. Like, Donnie in the, in the documentary, remember the part where he talks about how he was – he obviously was kind of annoyed. He's like, man, these these young pacers. Yeah, yeah, he was annoyed. He was annoyed. Yeah, but it's like because his style, like Rick, like Phil, would be just keep keep it moving. Don't let this right, stuff right, trip you right. up. We were too right. young, yeah, yeah. Right, right. And Phil, me and Phil had one incident in practice, you know, going back and forth. Phil, he, he'll, he'll uh, poke at you. Right. He's really good at getting under your skin, but he want to activate you. He wants you, he can sense like something's wrong. Right. You're not into it for the team and he going he gonna to activate you. Right. You know, uh, and then bring you back. I think he likes when you let your emotion out. Okay. That people get a chance to know you. If you're being isolated and you're not, you know, you're holding things in, Phil wants to let it out so you can get back on the team. Right. Right. Whereas, you know, you know, hiding, you're not, you're not eating with other guys. You're not talking to other guys. Right. So Phil, rather you talk, 
or he'll just poke you and you get upset. That way, you know, there's some type of confrontation and now yeah. it's the type of apologies and now right. you're back, you know, with the team. Right, right. So, just, so he's just really smart. <laughs> I remember one of those back and forth, I think, leaked in the media. And then at, at the time, me thinking, because you were the new guy there, that it's like, man, now Ron. Yeah, I didn't care. Me. But you're getting a taste of like, you got now the Laker Nation, they're trying to figure out what they think of you. And you, you can't get sideways with Phil because he's, you know, at that point, his rep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Because the problem is this yeah. when I lose that competitive edge, then it's over. It's officially over. And yeah. I was already, I was already um, working on not becoming getting excited. So you know, as a basketball player, you dunk on somebody and you scream, ah, right? Me and me and my therapist, we talked about. I couldn't, I couldn't do those things. I missed out on those things because when I get overly excited, then um, what, we, what we realized was I don't have any control of the, over the emotion. So yeah. whether you're super happy or super sad, it's still an unstable place for certain people. So even when I hit that three, you, you see when I hit that three, it was just like, you know, thank you, good shot. So Ron, I was uh, reading, like I said, I was doing a little bit of research and um, you were talking about um, seeking uh, therapy while you were a player. But the problem was you were saying like, from a media perspective, um, if you had said, well, I need help, then and at that time in our country, like that just, there wasn't an appetite for it. And now in the NBA, there is. And so the question I had for you was, if you were just coming into the league now, or if you were just in year three or four now, when mental health is, is such, it's so much easier to talk about publicly, mm -hmm. what do you think that would have meant for your career? Wow. It's, 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 well, people are more understanding, you know, now, um, if you look at a guy like Larry Sanders, you know, for example, you know, Larry has a real, uh, I would call it uh, anxiety, you know, and people didn't understand, like, you know, he really needs something to cope with. He doesn't really want to, he doesn't really want or want or probably need uh, medication, but he really need, you know, marijuana, you know, and, you know, it was such a struggle, it was such a battle between things like that that people didn't really understand. Back in the days, people were still smoking marijuana for a long time. Right? So, and I don't think it was to do self-damage. It was more because there's a lot of pressure that comes with being an NBA, especially if you don't have the support and the support cast or the support system. You know, so I think um, when I first came in, my, my whole thing was... I knew it was something going on in our, in our neighborhoods, you know, and that's why I always tell people, like, shout out to the ghetto, shout out to the hoods. That's one thing y'all heard from me for a long time. And I always knew it was the issue, but I felt like nobody was really, uh, I always felt like nobody was really addressing these issues. You know, my first uh, rookie transition program with David Stern, you know, I was just asking him, what were you doing for the hoods? You know, my peers that we all got drafted, everybody's looking at me like, what, you, you can't say things like that in this setting on plays next to me, hitting me on my leg. And that's a real question. Like, what are we doing for, what are we doing? So, you know, for me, I always kept that chip on my shoulder. You know, in terms of, I always want people to understand, like, you know, I, I didn't forget where I came from. I understand what everybody's going through. Uh, I, you know, um, and, you know, I was representing, you know, I would say, you know, urban black America for a long time. But nobody, I feel like a lot of people didn't really have my, they wasn't really supportive of me. When I'm like saying, you know, shout out to the hoods. I'm, I'm not a rapper. I'm, I'm telling you like, Life. we have a real issue here. And now, you know, when, when things happen, then you now you see people want to come out and talk about justice and all this stuff. You know, they could have been supported. You know, they could have been supported, got behind people. I feel like some people do it for politics. I was just doing, there was no politics involved. I've yet to sign a contract. You know, I, I didn't, you know, so I wasn't trying to please anyone. I was rebellious day one, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and, you know, I, and there was a lot of different things. And even from my, even my current household, I mean, my prior household, how I grew up, they had a major problem. You know, you talk about a kid that experienced so many different things. I'm like, y'all don't understand. Right. Like, you run our test drafted number 16. Like, there's some street stuff that we're dealing with. 
And you try, and, and, but back then people were not understanding. No. You know, I can't confine to this corporate stuff. <laughs> it's not comfortable. Right? I remember you, uh, you told the story one time. This, for me, this was the moment that I started figuring out what you'd seen when you were coming up in Queensbridge. You told the story that was also in your documentary of, I'm forgetting his name. Who was the, 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 uh, the baller who got oh, killed by Lloyd the sheriff? Newton. Lloyd Newton. Lloyd Newton. So, so we're sitting around one day at practice, and I forget the context, but you casually mentioned this story about a, a guy who was playing ball and somebody else grabbed a chair and broke off the leg and, and killed him. And I remember thinking, I'm just being honest, like, why is Ron telling stories? Like, why? why <laughs> is he, you know, and then I go and I look it up and it's New York Times headline and it's real. And, sure. you know, for me, that was it was I'll be honest. As a kid, I grew up in the Bay Area near San Francisco and certainly nothing like you saw at all coming up. And, and it was eye opening the entire time covering you because there's plenty of guys in the league who have similar stories but yours yeah. is is as gritty as anybody's and yeah. and that was eye-opening for me it ain't real gritty you know for me i'm and I'm, I'm i'm very self i'm very independent so it wasn't like you know for me i, I didn't walk around security you know i was everywhere when i got chicago first just, place, ha- just hakeem don't leave hakeem out come on hakeem. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well we had it when i got after the world it was a different type of security i, yeah, I needed yeah. to protect myself right I have I had security at one point in the NBA because like you know I'm so reactive so I needed to protect myself right. <laughs> from myself. But you know it's just like you know there's different things that we experienced. You know my older brother did ten years in jail for drug trafficking. One time I was mistaken for him because we look alike. You know I had to get out some drama and it's like things like that and it's like okay I'm gonna go to the NBA I'm gonna do well in school and I'm gonna get out of this situation. You know uh, or I was gonna be I wanted to be an architect at first. I was gonna do one or the other. I was full. I was full on ahead, focused on doing either architecture or MBA. Okay. You know what I'm saying? It was going to be one or the other, you know, um, and then, but then the other option was there. All the other options was there. So, I, and I was never the type of, to, you know, to a lot of my friends that was doing, that was getting in trouble going to jail. I always, they were always with me. You know, I was never the type to be like, yeah, I don't know these guys. <laughs> yeah. I can I attest to that, man. I still got a picture. I, I still got a picture. Maybe my favorite picture of all time of my whole career is you and I and S. I don't know, how, how's S doing? Are you still tight with S? Yes, it's okay. He's doing okay. <laughs> okay, so the, you and I and S on that shuttle uh, going to your concert, you know, and you did. You always ran with guys from back home. Uh, but but I don't – you're right. On the mental health front, I don't think in real time that the public and the media and even people within the league quite understood the way – everybody was. going through something different. Even if you're a rich kid, like you – you know, rich kids, you know, they go through stuff too because, you know, right. you see rich kids on drugs, commit suicide, all crazy. Like, it's just people go through things. Right. Everybody go through things and some, you know, you got to be understanding, you know, although we're a superhero as a professional athlete, you know, today we don't feel like a superhero. Today we feel right. very human. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Hey, last one for me before I want, we want to make sure we give you a chance to talk about yeah. that project behind you, X versus X. Um, I'll be honest, I buried this question because emotionally for me, for you, for Joe, anybody in this league, like it has not been that long, you know, since we lost Kobe. And I I don't want to, you know, darken the mood too much here. But it's also, I mean, Ron, it's been an incredible year when it comes to grief. You know, David Stern is going to always be somebody who is, you know, tied to your career. Um, Those two men passing, now David's certainly, you know, a whole lot older than Kobe and then the way that, that Kobe passed was just could not have been more tragic uh, when you talk about the loss of children and, and it's just tough stuff, but you, uh, you know, you really played an important part in a, in a very important chapter for Kobe. Just how are you doing now on that front? I guess from a, the human perspective, how has this year been for you? You know, I've seen some of the social media you put out there with Kobe where you were very emotional, very raw. I think you had a dinner of some sort hosting folks to, to celebrate his life. Uh, how are you doing on that front? Uh, you know, it, it, was, it was tough, you know, because Kobe was, not only we idolized him, but we, I played with him. You know, even when I played against him, I was, you know, after the game or before the games, you know, I still was like watching him. Um, so I was, you know, we, we grew, we, we grew a little friendship. And for him to pass all of a sudden was just like, it's really shocking. You know? it, was real, it was real shocking. And, um, 
it's still unbelievable. Yesterday we seen him on Last Dance, and it's just right. like, how is this guy not here? Like, how is Kobe not here? It's like, right. it, he, he can withstand bullets. He can withstand a car hit crash. Nothing can take Kobe. You know, I, I've seen him, his mentality. I, 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 you know, I, I was there. And, I, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just overwhelming. It's overwhelming. Right. That's, that's how I was watching your documentary. Uh, I mean, you've got to feel blessed that, you know, that that's something you can hold on to forever, where obviously, you know, before he passed, uh, he, he was on there sharing his perspective of your career. But I had the same reaction where it's like he just looks healthy as could be. You know, he was in a great place. He was making that pivot to, to you know, so many neat things going on post playing career. Um, so, I mean, it's. I can't, I can't wrap my head around this entire year because then you get into, you know, there was the China saga with the NBA and, and, and all that stuff. It seems like it was a couple years ago and, and, and it's been a hellish, you know, past six, seven, eight months. No, it's, it's been, it's been, a, yeah, it's been weird. You know, Kobe and then the COVID, you know, um, even before this year, it was still like weather, like so many crazy, so much, you know, destruction and, you know, I mean, that's the times we're living in and we just, you know, try to make the best out of it. You know, we always knew that, you know, any something biochemical could happen. We all, you know, we always knew that anything could happen. You live your days, you know, to the fullest. Right. You just never expect it to be you. You know, you never right. expect it to affect you, especially right. here in America. Because, you know, in America, everything's kind of solid in terms of economy and housing. For the most part, like, you know, things is kind of solid with the exception of people that's not doing so well. It's a different country. You know, when it happens to you, it's like, you know, it's like, you know, it's kind of unsettling and people start panicking and stuff. It's, it's just, it's been a crazy year. So hopefully we could get through it. But it's actually been a year where people came together. Um, you know, when Kobe passed, he brought so many people together. Um, people realized how great he was. And if you really want something, work, work hard. And then even COVID, people social distancing practicing social distancing on their own, staying home, you know, on their own. If you have to work, then I get it. How am I going to tell somebody to stay home if they ain't got to work? Where do you eat? How do you eat? Right. You know, but but for the most part, people that's doing okay, they've been, they've been staying home. So you know, it's been, I, 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 I just see a lot of people coming together under these difficult times. You got a favorite Kobe story that, that, that maybe you never shared before? Well, I don't have many because most of it's been on the court, but I, the one I shared with a lot of people was when he came to my room, he was on the bus, we landed in the city, and he said, hey, when I get to my room, I'm going to put my bags down, and I'm coming to your room, and I want you to play some beats, and I want to rap. I got a bunch of rhymes that I've been writing. He, that's my favorite story because, like, you know you know how much I love music and how much right. I always wanted to be a rap star right. badly. And for Kobe, and I knew Kobe was a writer, so for him to come to my room and listen to the music and just that rap cool. like hour, it was great. Right. Very yeah. cool. Ron, I, I didn't know Kobe at all. Uh, I had just met him a couple times at the end of his career, and obviously you know him so well. Sam knew him. The, the start of the documentary last night was my favorite part of the whole two hours um, because it, it opens at Madison Square Garden at its first All-Star game against Michael and the footage in the locker room of hearing Michael and the other stars of the day talking about Kobe, I just thought was incredible. What, yeah. what was your reaction to hearing this live or, you know, this recorded footage of, of Michael and, and the other guys on the East team in that locker room talking about this very young Kobe Bryant? It was, it was amazing. He was, it was competitive. He was like, man, if he's on my team, he's going to have to get a rebound. I heard Kobe say that about people on his team. Right, that was, right, right. You know, that was so cool here. That was so cool. Kobe looked up to Jordan, and Jordan said, "If Kobe's on my team, he would have to get the rebound to shoot." <laughs> and Kobe would not. That would not have went well with Kobe. What did he call? He called. He called them like this young boy from the Lakers. Like, yeah, yeah. He gonna want to do the one-on-one thing. Right. It was amazing. <laughs> I'm we so forget how competitive all of you got because we don't get to see that stuff. Like to yeah, see right, Magic right. talk to Larry, to talk to Michael, you know, like and even Magic stories about Mike where he's they're playing cards and he's just like, you, you can't just beat me. You got to 
you got to destroy me. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that, that stuff was pretty dope. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. I'm, I'm really happy that they took, that they was filming. I hope they do that more. I hope more people film, you know. Uh, I tell you what's crazy, and I'm hoping this happens. Um, the guy who shot a lot of that footage, or almost all of it, from 97, 98, and you, might, you probably know him, Andy Thompson. Do you know Andy? Oh, no, no. I don't know. So Andy's, it's Clay Thompson's uncle and Michael oh. Thompson's brother. He's the videographer for NBA Entertainment. And, and we wrote about this last week. After the 97-98 season, when Mike decided to go play for the Wizards, he actually chased Mike around for two years with the Wizards and took similar type footage. So, I mean, there's even more when wow. it comes to Mike that, that may, you know, maybe down the road it'll come out. Uh, hey, brother, you got a full calendar, and we got to get you out here, but you have an exciting thing going on on a, on a lighter, happier note that I wanted you to talk about. You can see it in the background there, X versus X. It was described to me as, as kind of the, like a LinkedIn for athletes, but not only pros, but recreational and, and a way to connect people uh, when it comes to sports. What, yeah. what are you doing here? Well, you know, um, I started X versus X sports, uh, dot com. And you can register early and you'll get an invite for the app that's coming out in a couple of weeks. But when I was in the NBA and towards the end of my career, I remember I had 18 points in my last game, my last game, last half. <laughs> Score 18 points and I had, that's pretty, pretty impressive, right? But then the next year I couldn't come back, you know, because they're going, people going younger. And then in my last couple of years, I was just there teaching. And it's like, you know, I needed a place to play. So I wanted to build an app where I can travel and play ball. Now, initially, when you're building an application or building a new company, you got to ask yourself a lot of questions. And so one of the questions was, how am I going to travel? How am I going to pay for this? <laughs> so then I took a step back and um, went back to UCLA Digital Analytics. We went to Cordia Irvine for business analytics. So I took a year and uh, I did social media, Google Analytics. I did a lot of these different classes. And I took a year and a half off. And then I said, okay, I kind of figured out a few things. Uh, I took those classes so I wouldn't have to pay people to do it. So after I learned a few things, I put my team together. And, you know, it's, it's one thing to launch an app, but it's, one, it's another thing to launch, you know, actually a sustainable business. Sure. So we feel that we'll be able to connect not only recreational players, but other recreational players around the world and find good games. Um, but we also feel we can do the same thing for pros. Uh, and, and that's what we're doing. So. You know, it, it very much is more than LinkedIn and Instagram. You know, Instagram, you know, you post a photo. LinkedIn is more like, hey, tell me about your business um, experiences. Right. You know, we want to know a little bit more about you so we can help you. Uh, so many people out there that don't get the opportunities to play sports because they get out of college, they got to go work. Or they get out of high school, they got to work. Or they don't have the grades. You know, sometimes basketball is biased towards someone who has better grades someone who has more exposure. Well, on our platform, you'll be able to sign up and we'll show you places um, on, on the maps where you can go and play in games that are meaningful. Games that will, when a scout sees it or a college uh, coach sees it, they'll say, okay, that was, a, that was a competitive game because of the other players that played. Right. right? And then also, there are people <laughs> that don't want to play pro. It's people that don't want to go to college but still want to play in some type of competitive setting and right. be known for playing basketball. So we have those uh, features on the app also, you know, for, for the everyday recreational player who just want to go to work, come home and go play some basketball. Right. So um, I'm really excited about it. Um, the educational piece I'm really excited about because of the profiles that we're going to have on the app. You know, it could be anyone to have a profile and post about different pieces of content. And one of my goals is to help basketball players get exposure to other uh, at, uh to other uh, you know sectors or genres of basketball business, esports, media, writing, videography, coaching, refereeing, right? right? This this is all type of content that we're going to have on the app. Right. Uh, if you look at a lot of basketball players who you know maybe gone broke or maybe trying to find their ways, refereeing is a great job. You know, um, being a videographer is a, is a great job. Editing, there's so many different things you can do in sports. Right. You don't have to just be a pro. Right. Right. So this platform is a sports platform strictly focused on sports right very cool um, and i had to give 100 percent. you know that's one reason why i'm not coaching right now because i had to get this platform off um the ground okay. that was one of the reasons why i wasn't why i wasn't able to coach full-time right now <laughs> I've <been working> on this. <laughs> well yeah, yeah. I, i'm glad you mentioned that man i buried the lead i i meant to ask you about being the next coach of the knicks you know about 45 minutes ago like what what's the deal there <laughs> well, you know, um, I told my staff, there's two jobs that 
if, if it comes up, you're going to have to run a company. <laughs> so there's two jobs, St. John's and the Knicks. Um, uh, you How's know, your relationship with Mr. Dolan these days? I, I, I don't know. We, I went to go see him perform one time, and we spoke often. <laughs> you know, I saw a show. But the thing is, like, I don't want anybody else's job. Like, if somebody else got the job, I'm a Knicks fan first. Yeah. So I want to see the Knicks win. That's the most important thing. And whoever has the job, whoever gets the job, I'll support. I'm a, I'm a huge Knicks fan. But, you know, if there's an opportunity, I, I very well could be a head coach. I've ran so many different offenses. My defense is amazing. I, you know, I can hire people <laughs> to do the right thing. You know, I'm, I'm a little wild card, but absolutely a head coach. Yeah, I feel like a couple a couple uh, eraser boards might get broken if you're on the bench, you know, over time. <laughs> little, little fire is good. Yeah, little Le- fire. Leon Rose, you got a, you got a, re- a relationship with Leon at all? You got to start working the angles here, man. Well, not, not necessarily. I just, I mean, people know I want the job. It's, it's, it's real simple for me. Right, right. You know, I played a lot of places. You know, I played with the, some of the best coaches. You know, I played. I was a, I was the man on the team. I was a role player. I understand. You know, um, I, I want to coach, and it's that simple. It's nothing right. – people know it. Right. And, you know, if it's available, you can find me. <laughs> they couldn't do much worse than worse. the past 20 years, man. Very yeah. good. Hey, it's great to see your face. I'm glad to hear that the family is doing so well. You gave us way more time than you committed to. So thank you very, very much, Ron. We appreciate you coming on, brother. Man, thank you, and good luck with everything. 